Hey, welcome back to the Trees to Forgabonate show and I'm going to do some uh, quick gardening before it gets totally dark. Beauty reps with Trump here is at Ron DeSantis. Um, wow. Brian Tyler Cohen just got 1 billion views. Dang. Congrats. Okie doke. Um, twenty eight thousands. It's got twenty eight thousand likes. Wow. Anyway, come on, Trista. Get to the show. Okay, um, <clears throat> No, but it's important to give credit where credit's due and praise and uplift other people in the movements. So let's see what feud erupted with Trump furious at Ron DeSantis. Try our starter pack. Purchase yeah. a solid stick and a cream no, deodorant I don't at want the regular to, price and you get free wipes. I really don't want to talk about fucking We're deodorant with you. Quote, yeah. Donald Trump has privately voiced his anger over <clears throat> Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis sending plane loads of migrants to Martha's Vineyard. His displeasure, however, has nothing to do with moral revulsions at the governor using human beings as unsuspecting pawns for a political attack. Instead, Trump is telling allies and confidants that he's outraged that DeSantis seems to think that he's allowed to steal the ex-president's mantle as both media star and as undocumented Unbelievable. People should be fucking locked up. Traitors and terrorists. All of them. Because you know what they say. Narcissist's gonna narcissist. What's going to do is that if Republican politics was actually yeah. about the policy, then ostensibly all Republicans would applaud policy that they agree with. But that is clearly not the case here, because even though this is a move that Trump agrees with, because he's not the one getting credit for it, 
he's against it. Because it's not about any governing principles or values. It's about him. It's about doing just anything and then having people clap at him like a herd of seals. To Donald Trump, it's never about the country. It's about Donald Trump. Which is probably why, according to Rolling Stone, Trump has privately accused the census of doing this largely to generate a 2024 polling boost for himself among <laughs> GOP voters. And by the way, Unbelievable. I don't disagree with him. The difference here is that Republicans Fucking are all Nazi acting the way that they can, might get their attention to help boost their own personal political prospects. Trump's... DeSantis pulled this disgusting stunt to help himself belies the fact that Trump would also have pulled this stunt to help himself. Again, these people are driven not by any consistent governing philosophy, they're driven by their own egos and nothing more. And if you needed further evidence of the fact that Trump is displeased with DeSantis' posturing here, consider the fact that Trump has thus far refused to make many, if any, public statements applauding DeSantis' actions, <laughs> even as the rest of the GOP makes statements like this. Let me say, Sean, I commend Greg Abbott for sending the immigrants to these blue cities. I commend Ron DeSantis for doing so, and they need to do more. Tomorrow, Martha's Vineyard needs 100. The next day, they need 200. The next day, they need 1,000. DC says it's a crisis to get 6,000. They need 10,000. They need 100,000. And given that Trump is arguably the most impulsive person in politics and rarely does an errant thought enter his brain that he considers restraining himself from weighing in on, his silence really does speak volumes here. And by the way, this wouldn't be the first time that Trump has viewed politics solely through the lens of his rivalry with the Florida governor. On September 7th, Trump posted a statement entitled, Mar-a-Lago Raid Gives Trump a 10-Point Boost Over DeSantis. That post has since been deleted off Trump's website, but the sentiment is clear. In the Republican Party, where it's always I and never we, everything ultimately comes down to how the politicians will derive some benefit. And look, with all of that said, I am not a fan of the horse race politics of it all. I don't think the real news is that Trump and DeSantis are jockeying for position as 2024 approaches. The real news here is that any way you cut it, the Republican Party is led by people who think that using migrants, using Fucking Nazi beings pigs. as pawns in a political stunt is not only not disqualifying, but an idea so good that they're all at each other's throats to claim credit for it. And that's a party, by the way, that continues to parade itself around as being pro-life. And yet here they are cheering on having lied to 50 people about getting jobs and housing and even where they were going. Knowing full well they were being sent to a remote island with no jobs, no housing, and no essential services. Because apparently, when Republicans aren't grandstanding about how much they care about human life, they're doing everything they can to destroy it. And there's another point here that I think is worth making. Yes, Trump is a dangerous authoritarian, and yes, it is okay to find solace in his misery in situations like this one, where he's clearly incensed about the fact that Ron DeSantis is encroaching on his monopolistic control of the GOP. But let's not pretend for a second that Ron DeSantis is any less dangerous than Donald Trump. This is by no means a situation where we can just say, well, he's not Trump, so really, how dangerous can he be? This former Obama communications director, Dan Pfeiffer, making exactly that point. There is this sense that anything better than Trump is okay. When I was having a conversation with a 
incredibly anti-Trump former Republican who certainly is more progressive, who is not as conservative as Ron DeSantis, but thinks Ron DeSantis is, is within the band of pre-Trump normalcy. So there's this world where DeSantis becomes acceptable to a broad swath of people who found Trump in foreign because he's simply not Trump. He's actually more dangerous than Trump. And you can just see a world where they decide, the world decides, the reporters who are yearning to return to pre-Trump both sides of think that Ron DeSantis is acceptable. He is a deeply dangerous and authoritarian who just tweets less than Donald Trump. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> so you don't want to imbue him with strength because strength is one of the most, you know, it's not healthy, but one of the most persuasive political characteristics. So there, you have to find a way to talk about extremism that is extremism born from weakness, oh. born from fear. And I think that's how we have to think about Trump and DeSantis. Let's talk about better help. If you ever feel anxious, depressed, stressed, oh. overwhelmed by nope, never. being very much on fire, BetterHelp can step in with their fleet of licensed therapists Ow. who are trained to listen and help you. Three years ago, when the lockdown started, in other words, Trump and DeSantis feuding over leading the GOP in the wake of this migrant strike isn't about which one is winning, because it doesn't matter which one is winning, because they've proven that they are equally dangerous and equally authoritarian, even if Donald Trump has proven himself just a little too dumb and sloppy to get away with his crimes. The real issue here is that all of the candidates vying to lead the Republican Party are dangerous. The GOP today has devolved into a sprint to the far right, where the only way to confirm your conservative bona fides is to show that you're more extreme than everyone else, more heartless, more bullying, and more willing to disregard laws and precedent and the Constitution. There are no more moderating forces in the GOP. They don't exist. There is no lane for centrism. It is only a matter of how much farther to the right you can go. What we're seeing right now between Trump and DeSantis is a testament to exactly that. So here's what I would suggest. It's a instead pissing contest. Less dangerous between Trump and DeSantis, let's instead focus our energy on ensuring that neither of them is able to gain more power. have the opportunity in just 50 days to expand Democrats' majority in the federal government and strip the Republicans of their majorities in states like Florida, because the agenda between these two parties could not be more clear. In fewer than two years, Democrats have passed the American Rescue Plan, an infrastructure package, a gun safety bill, the PACT Act, the CHIPS Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, forgave student loan debt for 43 million American borrowers, expanded NATO, and added 10 million jobs. 
What if it's a Republican son? Well, under Ron DeSantis' leadership down in Florida, they passed a law banning the acknowledgement of the existence of LGBT Americans, they banned abortion after 15 weeks, and they banned books from schools and libraries. That's the difference. One party is looking to expand your rights and bolster the middle class. The other is looking to strip you of your rights as part of some far-right, Christo-fascist fever dream. So make sure you have a plan to vote in November. Make sure your circle has a plan to vote in November. and send a message to both Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis that their brand of conservatism has no place in this country. Before you go, if you enjoyed this video and want to see more, please make sure to subscribe to my channel. You can click the thumbnail right here on this screen. And if you want to support my work even further, the best way is to subscribe to my podcast, No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohen. There you can check out my interviews with major players in the world of politics, including President Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren, Katie Porter, Jamie Raskin, and so many more. Plus other interviews that live exclusively on the podcast. That link is also right here on the screen. Or just search No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohen wherever you listen to podcasts. The National Republicans are spending $34 million against me. Can you chip in anything no. right now to help me fight back? This is the most... Politicians, this should be outlawed campaign contributions. Is this my little Hercules or is this my little Mr. Speckle? Is this Mr. Speckle? Mr. Speckle? Mr. Speckle? Mr. Speckle? I'm Mr. Speckle. Mr. Speckle. See how many <laughs> mentions of Christopher Prez. Young Dems. Young Dems of America. College Dems. Of America. Little baby. Mm. Mm. Women's mark. Oh, that's in the, that's it. Okay. Oh. Hey, easy guys. Take it easy. Oh.
I should start one called Ang Gun. Not gonna lie. NGL. So people think it's your show. Okay, so I just posted on uh, <laughs> and tagged Brian Tyler Cohen, congratulating him on his on his billion listens. Okay, skip ads. Pissing contest between two pigs, Nazi pigs. Let's see what other groovy stuff is on here. Oh, wow, Iran, the lost city of science. Wow, that looks interesting. First order of Mar-a-Lago Special Master issues. First order. Ooh, he looks terrible. Over the past six months, great. we have been investigating as well as exposing. By the way, the these these are Chinese and Russian plans that have been catching on fire and right here. This ground. epic time. The Dutch farmers in the Chinese and Russians from the Midas Touch Network, and, and this Russian is a breaking together. news alert. Judge Raymond Deary, who's sitting in senior status as a federal judge in the Eastern District of New York, the judge who was appointed to be the special master by Judge Eileen Cannon in connection with the search warrant executed at Mar-a-Lago to review all of the documents obtained by the Department of Justice. Well, Judge Deary has just issued his first order uh, in connection with his appointment as the special master over the Mar-a-Lago search matter. Let me pull up that order right now for everybody. The order is a special master order. Uh,
counsel are directed to appear before the undersigned in courtroom 10A-S of the Brooklyn Federal Courthouse on Tuesday, September 20th, 2022, at 2 p.m. for a preliminary conference in the above-captioned matter. Counsel are invited to submit proposed agenda items for the discussion by docketed letter to be filed before the close of business on September 19th, 2022. And so what that means is Judge Deary, who's now the special master overseeing the review of the documents obtained during the Department of Justice lawful search warrant that was executed by the FBI on August 8th has invited the parties, both the Department of Justice and Trump's lawyers, uh, to submit any of proposed agendas for what will be discussed at, these, at this status conference hearing, which will be held next Tuesday. So we're going to have a filing by next Monday. We're going to have a preliminary hearing where the Department of Justice will appear, as well as Trump's lawyers to appear. You know, and ultimately, the irony of Trump asking for a special master is that from everything that we know, this whole gambit, which is just delay, delay, is going to backfire miserably, like all of this. Possibly he could delay this out and stretch this out till nobody cares anymore. But it's not the president anymore. People are very focused and now I think are more motivated and energized than ever. Now, here's the thing that I think is going to be discussed uh, in the agenda items and in the September 20th hearing. Donald Trump has not claimed at all in any court documents that the 100 classified documents have either been declassified or belong to him. He's never actually made that claim. He made that claim to the media, and in his court filings, he's basically said, well, a special master should make these decisions, but what I think Judge Deary, who's been a federal judge, was appointed by Ronald Reagan, has been a federal judge for a very, very, very long time, and known as a no-nonsense federal uh, judge is going to hone in on is, what are you making the claims of? Are you claiming that these documents are yours? Are you claiming that you declassified these records? And I think the Department of Justice is going to raise those issues right away in the agenda, um, as well as at uh, the hearing. And I think that actually, as it relates to the 100 classified documents, I think the government's going to ask, um, let's deal with these documents on an expedited basis. We'll show you, Judge, these documents first. It should take you maybe a few days to look at. You were a court, uh, you were a judge on the FISA courts, so you have experience based on your role being part of the federal surveillance courts on national security matters. So, Judge, let us show you these 100 classified documents right away. We'll view those, then we can deal with all the records next. Trump, on the other hand, is probably going to argue, let's just dump all the documents to you. Let's delay, 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 and take as long as we can. Judge Cannon has given uh, this special master process until November 30 to be completed. Let me give you also Judge Deary's background uh, for a minute, just so you recall. Um, Judge Deary was appointed by Ronald Reagan. Um, Judge Deary was the chief judge uh, in the Eastern District of New York um, up until 2011 when he essentially retired, took what's called senior status. 
Um, he was shortly thereafter appointed by the Supreme Court to be one of the members of the Foreign Surveillance or FISA courts. He actually was one of the individuals who signed the FISA warrant um, for surveillance on Carter Page. This is why he was the strategic decision, I suppose, by Trump to bring in Judge Deary or to recommend Judge Deary was the fact that um, in the 2016-2017 Carter Page warrants, those were later held to be actually have defects in the warrants themselves. So what Trump's hoping or what their lawyers hope is that Judge Deary will view warrants in connection with Trump very skeptically, although those FISA warrants are very different than what the warrants at issue are here. So I think that Trump completely miscalculated in picking Judge Deary, who understands the law on this, understands the undisputed issues that classified documents can't be stolen by former presidents, and ultimately I think is going to try to deal with those issues right away. And none of this nonsense before Judge Eileen Cannon, who is a inexperienced and corrupt Trump judge, None of that is going to work in front of Judge Deary, who has ample, ample, ample experience, and who the Department of Justice said, even though this was someone who Trump recommended, this is someone who the Department of Justice said, we're fine to have this individual be the special master. And so things are going to start heating up with the special master as early as next week. And the fact that this order came out right away by Judge Deary says he's not waiting. He understands the seriousness of the issues. He's ready to go right away. And this order is probably a little alarming to Trump's team, who was hoping to buy a little more time. But Judge Deary saying, let's go right now. Now, you may be wondering, so is the Department of Justice going to appeal? Are they just going along with this? Like, what's going on here? The Justice Department has filed a notice of appeal last week, and they are likely going to appeal. They're going to appeal the ruling by Judge Eileen Cannon, I, I believe, as well as Judge Cannon's denial of the motion for partial stay. But that doesn't mean that they can't do anything with the special master. The move that they made, which was to stay or to stop Judge Eileen Cannon's ruling as it relates to the 100 classified records, she denied that. So they have to go. I know it's a long time before Christmas. But if we're going to get shoes for little children that have, most of them never had shoes, we've got to do it now. $36 will give 10 children a pair of shoes. Are you no ads, man? <coughs> skippy, skippy. The special master, but I still undoubtedly First believe they're going, to they're going to appeal on an expedited basis. And if they win on the appeal, you know, essentially what would happen is process that is under as un, being undertaken before judge deary which is stop and then they get access to those documents right away um and those documents would then be part of the criminal investigation into donald trump and be used for their further uh, the further issues that they raised more important like the potential harm to our national security so this doesn't prevent the department of justice from uh, appealing and in fact what i think the department of justice is going to say again as i mentioned earlier to judge deary let's deal with these 100 documents first should it take you that long to review let's take a look at these documents right away and then make a decision on them let us get those documents back and then if you want to deal with all these other documents which are 100 percent belong to the government go do it but let's deal with what's urgent and what's affecting our national security first we'll see what happens with the 11th circuit you know if 
again, I think the Department of Justice will appeal. If we get an order soon, that process can stop and we could get it back sooner. But, you know, the wheels of justice still have to turn and the Department of Justice has to go through this process. But just think about this process. At the end of the day, it was a temporary delay tactic, but what is the special master going to do? The special master is going to look at documents. They're going to have classified markings. They're clearly going to belong to the government. And Trump's either going to claim I own those, which point he's stipulating to the crime of espionage, which is taking these records that don't belong to him. The obstruction charge, which was not turning these documents over, and the concealment, which he was hiding these records. So he will be admitting to that. Um, or he's going to claim their personal documents, which is claiming are classified records of personal belonging, in which case they're also stipulating to the crime. There can't be support independent media. I get DMs all the time. I see it in the comments all the time. How could we help wherever we live? How could we help grow this independent media channel? Uh, Trevor Noah sent, sends migrants, immigrants, would, new uh, refugees, basically stop calling them uh, immigrants. sickness.
Maybe three of the Vibes Chouinard, who started Patagonia roughly a half century ago, said, quote, we are making Earth our only shareholder. Why is it so fucking... This is not cool. I can barely hear this shit. Yeah. Which, when you think about it, is actually the most baller move of all time, huh? Yeah, because who's more of a baller? The person who has a billion dollars or the person who literally uses their billion dollars to make it rain? That's what he's doing. Because the earth is going through a drought. He saw what happened in California. He's like, I want to make it rain. And who would have thought that a billionaire could give away his money to help the planet instead of trying to escape it? Um. I'm not impressed. I can barely hear that. So we're going to listen to Jamie Raskin. If you're a homeowner in Arizona uh, and you're still paying for electricity, it, then you're missing out on getting... No ads. Representative Raskin on Trump getting subpoenaed to testify publicly. Today we have someone needs no introduction. Congressman Jamie Raskin, thanks so much for coming back on. Jamie Raskin's awesome. He's probably going to be the next House Speaker. A clip from our interview as part of their their fight compilation. You uttered the word fight during our interview, which very clearly achieved their goal of proving that Democrats are exactly the same as Trump, who incited an insurrection. You know, I always wonder, why didn't they show that we used the word the, and they used the word the? Yeah. It, it wasn't like our case for his having incited a violent insurrection against the union was based on one phrase or one word. Yeah. It was an entire course of conduct. So they may as well have said they used the word Congress and Trump used the word Congress. I mean, so right. That among among other elements, uh, among other airtight elements of their of their argument, you know, surprised they couldn't uh, surprised so, it didn't work out for them. We'll live in history together because of this phrase. Right. If it's a choice between being on Jamie Raskin's side or Trump's side during that impeachment trial, I wear it as a badge of honor that I showed up alongside you <laughs> on that screen. So I appreciate that. So with that said, uh, you sit on the January 6th committee. I think a lot of people out here are impatient. You know, we've seen indictments for low-level January 6th participants, and we've heard about subpoenas and private testimonies through the January 6th committee. But otherwise, as far as the general public can tell, there's still very little we can point to, especially in terms of holding the big fish accountable. So can you give an overview of where the committee stands and what the next major benchmarks or milestones are going to be? Well, first let me say a word about the prosecutions, because I think that's an unduly pessimistic reading of where the Department of Justice is. I mean, 750 um, prosecutions and investigations and lots of people in jail now. I mean, you know, I've got colleagues, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates, who go down to the D.C. jail and demand the release of what they call these political prisoners. And, of course, Donald Trump is talking about pardoning them. Like most organized crime prosecutions and investigations, um, this one is working its way up. You start with the little fish and then they help to point you to the medium fish and then they help to point you to the big fish and that's how it works. So, um, you you know, don't forget that there's been the indictment for seditious conspiracy of um, Stuart Rhodes and the Oath Keepers ring. That's just one and of women. multiple domestic violent extremist who groups who operated in what I call the realm of insurrection, the people who came in planning for violent struggle, smashed our windows, broke down our doors, beat up our cops, um, and helped turn 
the outer ring of the demonstration. Representative Raskin, exclamation point. Thank you for your service, comma. You're doing a fantastic job, exclamation point. One of my favorite members of Congress, comma, and there are only a handful, comma. I assure you, exclamation point, smiley face. Anyway, comma, what about the 147 of your colleagues in Congress? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Why isn't anybody talking about their role, comma, and holding them accountable for orchestrating it with Mr. Hashtag Nazi Trump, question mark. Hashtag January 6th. Hashtag January 6th CMTE. Hashtag January 6th Committee. I'm not right. Uh, but you're right to point our attention to the very inside of the seditious activity in that day, which was the realm of the coup. And it's an odd word to use in the American parlance because we don't have a lot of experience with coups. And we think of a coup as something taking place against a president. This was a coup orchestrated by the president against the vice president and against the... Why isn't the Congress invoking the 14th Amendment, comma, and expelling these insurrectionists from your midst? Exclamation point, question mark. Weren't you, don't you guys remember when Trump sent his terrorist mob to attack our Congress? Question mark, question mark. Why isn't he slapped with treason and terrorism charges? Comma, all of them. Question mark. And... Please, comma, Representative Raskin, comma, please. Call for them all to be disqualified from the midterms. Exclamation point, exclamation point. No traitors in the Congress. Exclamation point. SOS, 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 SOS. Congress, and we've not seen any criminal prosecutions there yet, but I seem to believe that the evidence is building. In any event, over on the congressional side, the uh, bipartisan select committee on January 6th, we have made remarkable progress in terms of assembling information at every level of seditious activity taking place, and we're getting a much more comprehensive and fine-grained portrait of what happened. Even though it's true, you know, Donald Trump and his immediate entourage have been trying to sandbag and obstruct the committee, but we've won pretty much every case in court uh, that has been uh, filed by either side, and we have rulings at every level all the way up to the Supreme Court that executive privilege is just not operative for a former president trying to hide his involvement in a violent insurrection against the union. Now, when will public hearings be? And using your... 
please do your job to protect us and the U.S. Constitution and disqualify all these fucking traitors and terrorists from our Congress before the midterms. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Judgment. Do you believe that issuing a subpoena for Trump to testify publicly will be necessary? The National Republicans are spending $34 million against me. Can you chip in anything right now to help me fight back? This is the most money ever spent by a group against the Democratic... Well, if we want Trump to testify, definitely using the subpoena will be necessary. Uh, as you might recall from the second impeachment trial, I sent him a letter uh, saying that he had put into issue um, specific facts that we had alleged and documented in our case, and therefore he needed to come and testify to clear it up because only he could. His team rejected his participation in less time that, than it took him to respond to uh, the insurrection in the Capitol. Um, and um, which was a pretty long time, by the way. That was three hours. We heard yeah. back from him, I think, in two hours, maybe yeah. it was an hour and 45 minutes. But yeah. um, so we will need to subpoena him if we're going to hear from him. I think that hearings are likely to come at the end of April or in May. You know, they have uh, definitely slowed us down by a month or two by the stuff they've been doing. But we're going to get all the information that we need. And those hearings, I hope, will be two or three weeks of daily hearings. Uh, perhaps in prime time, or they might vary in time, but to tell a complete story of what took place, how it took place, what are, what are the causes behind it, and then significantly, what do we need to do to prevent this from ever happening again, to fortify our democratic institutions against coups and insurrections? Is there a, you mentioned that, uh, that you've won just about all of your court cases. Those include issuing subpoenas, forcing people to comply. If you do issue a subpoena to Trump to come and testify, is there any way that he can... Dr. Baker macking out on rotten eggs, exclamation points. ...get around it. Is there any way that he can deny his involvement? Well, I mean, of course, he has a right to assert his Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination, which I suppose he would do in the end. Now, that is a privilege that you have to assert person with respect to specific questions. It's not a magic wand that you wave over an entire inquiry. Um, and, you know, his executive uh, privilege claims or former executive privilege claims are absolutely fraudulent, just like his claims to be able to keep secrets about insurrections <laughs> have no standing in law. So all that stuff is going down. I mean, it's pretty much already gone down. Um, so it you know, it may be a, a race against time. We'll see. Um, you know, he will either get up there and tell the truth and completely convict himself of being at the center of this uh, attack on American democracy, this attempt to overthrow the 2020 election and coerce Mike Pence into unilaterally rejecting electoral college votes, or he'll lie, he'll commit perjury. Um, and, you know, I know it's a, a matter of enormous frustration to the public. It's just maddening to people that he's gotten away with so many crimes. I mean, he is a you know, one-man constitutional crime wave, an old-fashioned felony crime wave, too. Um, and he travels with an army of lawyers, and he's always had his daddy's money to bail him out. But, uh, you know, I'm with Dr. King. I think that 
the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice, and it's going to catch up with him. You'd mentioned delay tactics. Bannon didn't comply with his subpoena. He was indicted in November, and then his trial date was set for July. That's obviously a really long time. And so if the goal is delay, then that tactic appears to be pretty effective. So with the president of Bannon's delay... You know, Move to Brock the community. So and, and if so, wouldn't that be just giving the guy exactly what he wants? There are a lot of different tactics that are out there. We've tried different things. Different things are working better than others. There are criminal contempt actions. There are also civil contempt actions. There are inherent um, contempt actions within Congress itself. You know, what's happening is that um, the velocity of participation is so powerful that a lot of witnesses and potential witnesses are thinking to themselves, I better testify because otherwise people are going to testify about me. Uh, you know, so a lot of people are getting in it because they don't want the train to leave the station without their opportunity to speak. Now, Trump has dangled pardon pledges for January 6th participants. How does that impact how you're approaching this on the January 6th committee? And how should the DOJ approach this separately? Well, let's start with how America should approach it. I mean, what you have is a guy who waged violence. Uh, and unlawful battle to overthrow a presidential election who is saying his conduct was perfect and he would do it again. And not only would he do it again, he would do it again, he would get in, and then he would pardon the insurrectionists. I mean, that's quite close to being a declaration of war on our constitutional order. Um, yeah. And, um, <clears throat> close, so that's, that's not that close. That's exactly what it is. People need to take seriously. Um, yeah, you guys don't take it seriously. And um, so, uh, you know, we will try to get. I don't think anybody in America is taking this as seriously as we should! Exclamation point. This guy is a freaking terrorist and a traitor! Exclamation point. And every second he is not locked up, he is committing more sedition, comma, insurrection, comma, treason, comma, espionage, you name it! Exclamation point. So please, comma, Representative Raskin, please do your job! Exclamation point. And get the other Democrats! to call for a vote on H.R. 25, exclamation points. Um, testimony from him, we will try to get him to answer questions uh, on the record, but nothing in our strategy depends on that. And the last Trump question here. Uh, a few days ago, we heard Trump admit that his goal was to get Pence to overturn the election results. He says this in broad daylight. And that, that's in addition to, you know, as I mentioned, Trump openly dangling pardons for January 6th participants. Of course, his demand to the Georgia Secretary of State to find 11,780 votes, which was recorded. Expel I've all said the over and over that just because you say something in broad daylight doesn't automatically it? make it not criminal. It just makes it criminal in broad daylight. They do. How they deleted one of my comments. In the DOJ and in state attorneys general, that there will be accountability. And what's at risk if we don't hold Trump accountable? Well, you're right that if you rob a bank in broad daylight, 
you still rob a bank. <laughs> yeah. and just like if you, if you rob a bank with a, a mask on, um, that is not more culpable than robbing a bank with taking your mask off. Right. You know, Donald Trump, of course, won't wear a mask anyway. So, um, so all of that is true. But look, I think they're all going to get their comeuppance. I think that the public is increasingly... Um, Why they fucking uh, delete my comment? Um, the, the problem is that he's been consolidating his power and control over the Republican Party, which today, you know, uh, voted in uh, the executive do it again. committee to Copy and censure paste it again. Liz Cheney out of Kinziger for the crime of telling the truth. They should be censuring Donald Trump and ejecting him from their party, but instead they're trying to expel and censure Liz Cheney. Um, what a scandal for Abraham Lincoln's party. He started that party as a party of union. He hated the know-nothings. He hated the racism. His Lyceum address was all about the dangers of mob violence after the attack on Elijah Lovejoy, an abolitionist newspaper editor. And he said, if downfall ever comes to America, it will not be from monsters abroad. It will be from the evil within. And he was clearly thinking about the slave power and racism in the country, the same forces, uh, the same kind of... My comment was deleted for some reason from this channel, exclamation point. I don't know why, but here it is again. GFY, exclamation points. Forces that have arrayed themselves today against the constitutional order. The DOJ is looking into the fake electoral college certifications, and that's in a number of states. It's in Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, PA, Wisconsin, Nevada, and New Mexico. I, I know you have no visibility into, into justice, into DOJ, but how much criminal exposure is there for those fake electors and those who sent the certifications in? Well, that varies from state to state, and it also depends on what, you know, what specifically they were saying. Some of them were extremely nervous about what they were doing. And they took care to make provisos that um, mitigated somewhat the claim that they were the official electors from particular states. But others just, you know, they, they just shot for the moon and they said, "We are the we are the official electors from this state." And um, which, of course, you would need to do if you wanted to contest the election and try to throw the whole thing into chaos. And that's what. That's what I believe their centralized organizers were urging them to do. So we have to look very carefully at what they said in what context to determine whether there was forgery, whether there was mail fraud, whether there was wire fraud, whether you know it was part of a seditious conspiracy to overthrow the election and the government. And would that be something that's, that's uh, prosecuted on the state level or at a federal level? Again, you have to look at what specific offenses are in play. I mean, there's no generalized federal offense of fraud in um, 18 U.S.C., but it's mail fraud and it's wire fraud. So you can't use the U.S. mails to deprive the public of its right to honest services. Um, that's been upheld by the Supreme Court, that component of the mail fraud statute, just like you can't use it as a device or an artifice to deprive someone of their property. You can't deprive the public itself 
of honest services. So I think they're on very shaky ground there in terms of both mail fraud and wire fraud. But there are clearly state fraud and election fraud statutes that are in play. And I read today about a woman who just got sentenced to six years in jail in Tennessee. Um, and um, she's, uh, she's in Memphis, Tennessee. She was in jail for, and then she was on probation and she got out. And by getting out, she thought she could register to vote again. But her probation wasn't actually over. But you can see what the confusion was. But the prosecutor brought the hammer down her, down on her and brought her prosecution for election fraud, for voter fraud. Um, and she just got sentenced to six years in jail. Six and, years. And, and, that's, and that's one person. What's going to happen to these people who try, try to deprive the voices of tens of millions of people? Well, that's exactly my point. The, these are these fake electors, these fraudulent electors, were trying to deprive the entire public right. of its right to participate in the presidential election by essentially stealing the election. That's a much bigger deal than one person voting illegally by accident. Yeah. Of course, she's an African-American woman, so you've got to ask other questions about what's taking place there. Um, but if we're going to take voter fraud seriously at that micro level, which is so episodic and essentially irrelevant in terms of election outcomes, certainly we got to take it seriously in terms of people trying to hijack the entire election. So I want to move over to you. Um, a few days ago, uh, on January 30th, that would have been your son Tommy's birthday. You honored him in your book, Unthinkable, Trauma, Truth, and the Trials of American Democracy. How are you doing? Like, are you and your family as okay as you? My name is Shannon Klingman, and I'm a baking enthusiast, a gardener, an aspiring beekeeper, a wife, mother of five, and an OBGYN. <laughs> Ten years ago during my residency. Can be. Well, I suppose by definition, we're as okay as we can be now. I mean, um, I can certainly talk about Tommy without dissolving into tears and grief, which is what it was like for the first several months. I mean, I just couldn't talk about him, you know, and uh, usually I can do it. And, uh, you know, I, the book and all of the writing helped me to articulate a lot of different solemn emotions I've been experiencing since we lost him. But, um, uh, you know, a, a dazzling bright star went out in my life when uh, we lost him. But I do believe I carry Tommy with me in my heart and uh, in my soul. And there are just a lot of people who love him, including a lot of people who didn't know about him before, but are like reading his poetry and reading his plays and learning what he was all about. I mean, he was like a, a visitor from a time 500 years from now when everything's worked out all right and we've gotten beyond war and poverty and these things. I mean, Tommy used to say there was a time when there was slavery and there was a time when there were witchcraft trials and there was, you know, a lot of brutal things took place and we got beyond them as a species. We got beyond them as a people. Um, and so we can keep evolving, but uh, we need to hang real tough for democracy right now because we got forces, not just in America, but all over the world that would drag us back to the worst darkness of the 20th century, the fascism, the Nazism, the racism. I, I know you've done a lot of interviews about the book. 
And so you don't really ever get any relief from talking about this traumatic event because the traumatic event is the book. Has that been harder than you thought or, or, you know, because you've been, you've done a lot of media appearances. Has that been in some way therapeutic or? It's been good to talk to people and to, you know, to connect with other people about it. I mean, we're, we live in an age of trauma, really bad trauma. And we're not the only family that's lost someone, you know, in 2020, it was in the last day of 2020, but, um, you know, we're up around a million now from COVID-19, a million in the opioid crisis, people we've lost, um, gun violence and the mental and emotional health crisis, you name it. I mean, so there are a lot of people out there who have written me about their stories and what's going on with them. And, um, you know, trauma cheats you of what's most precious and important to you in your life. Uh, but the other side of it is it connects you to people and allows you to grow in wisdom and understanding of other people's pain and sorrow. So that's all right. It was, it was therapeutic writing my book. When I did the uh, audio version, that was very difficult. It was very hard to read it aloud. But I found this process of talking about it a, a nice thing, you know, in terms of connecting me to other people and, um, you know, in, in getting to talk about Tombow like that. Well, you'd, you'd mentioned people writing to you. Was there any feedback that was especially memorable for you? Oh, man, I mean, you know, we, we've got, I don't know how many letters now, but certainly more than 15,000 letters and emails. And um, I think about lots of them. You know, a lot. Um, you know, there are other, other people who've lost um, family members in the same way that we did. Um, and, um, you know, people have very meaningful things to say about that and how to think about it. Um, you know, we've heard from a lot of people who, um, were traumatized by January 6th and who had their faith in America shaken by what they saw on that day. And, um, you know, and they're, they're finding hope in seeing other people fight for America and fight for our institutions. They want to see people fighting back. And I agree. I want to see people fighting back too. I mean, this has got to be personal for us. Um, you know, the people that came to tear down America on that day were serious. And if you look at their websites, they're saying the only thing they regret is they didn't bring their firearms with them. They left them back in the hotels and the cars. And Donald Trump wants to whitewash the whole thing, says his rioters greeted the police with hugs and kisses, which is presumably how 150 of them ended up in the hospital or wounded or injured. How can people who watch or listen to this help? I know you have a memorial fund. Is that the best way that we can help? Oh, yeah. Well, um, we, we created a memorial, the Tommy Raskin Memorial Fund for people and animals, um, which you can find if you check it out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's run by Tommy's sisters and cousins and his friends. It's a kind of a younger generation thing, and they've already given away hundreds of thousands of dollars to causes important to Tommy, including civilian relief and resettlement from the civil war in Yemen, which Tommy was working on, um, and um, relief in Haiti from 
the most recent earthquake, and Tommy was a passionate vegan, and so a lot has also gone to animal welfare, animal rights groups. Uh, they're doing really interesting stuff, and they've raised uh, more than a million dollars, and they've been able to put it back into the causes important to Tommy. And of course, politically, um, I'm going to be spending uh, this year on the project that Tommy helped me to create when he was a, a boy called Democracy Summer, which is for young people.